Let's together be seated. And again, children, we're so glad that you're here. Um, most recently, in the last couple of weeks, kids, um, Pastor Rob, who's who's not here, by the way, Pastor Rob is actually at another church. He's uh, preaching so that the pastor there can serve in children's ministry. Isn't that cool? So uh, Rob, uh, you know, is, is sending our greetings to another church, uh, the church at Mon River, which we'll, we'll pray for later. Um, and so uh, in the last couple of weeks, Rob's been teaching us from the book of First Peter. So you probably know the name Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he got to see firsthand uh, what Jesus said and what Jesus did, and he wanted to encourage believers, so he wrote them letters. And so this is one of the letters of the Apostle Peter. Um, First Peter starts with just a beautiful list of blessings for God's people. First Peter starts by talking about how uh, Jesus is our living hope. He's not just a concept. He's a person. Our hope is not in just you know, some kind of philosophy or idea. Our hope is actually in a person, and he's alive, and he can help us today. And uh, Peter talked about uh, the way that we have good things for us in heaven, that God is is, is holding safe for us. He's reminded how God is guarding us through faith so that if we face trials and difficulties, we can still hold on to that hope and so that we we can trust God uh, and we can even rejoice because we love Jesus and we know that he's working good things in our lives even when we suffer it. So that's, that's kind of the background to what we're stepping into today. So we're going to continue that section in First Peter with verses 10 through 12. So John is going to uh, read that main passage to us and, and Peter's going to talk about how privileged we are uh, today in Christ the privileges, the spiritual blessings that we have today, and, and then how we're called to respond to those blessings. So John's going to read from First Peter, and then Judah's going to come and uh, read about how um, the prophets who are spoken of in First Peter uh, were longing to hear what we hear today. And so Judah's going to read to us words of Jesus from Matthew 13, talking about the prophets and righteous people. And then Chuck is going to come and read to us from Ephesians 3. That's going to help us to, to, to get a little bit more of a, a grip on what God is doing in salvation through his church. Um, amazingly, God's uh, pointing out through Paul in Ephesians 3 that God's wisdom is actually on display in the church, not just for us here on earth, but actually on display for the heavenly beings as well. Then finally, Jane is going to come give us uh, a little preview of things to come later in this sermon series. She's actually going to read from the same book, 1 Peter chapter 2. And so in that final reading, uh, Peter talks about the privileges that Christians enjoy, and then he talks about why we have those privileges. So listen for a word that talks about the purpose of God. I'll give you a hint. It's, it says, that you... So it's going to talk about blessings, and then it's going to talk about the purpose by linking a little phrase, that you may. All right, so listen for that part. All right, so let's prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word. John, would you come and read to us from 1 Peter? 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. <clears throat> Concerning this salvation, the prophets 
who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Matthew 13, verse 17. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentile the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, and who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. First Peter 2, <clears throat> 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a chosen priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now that you are God's people. Once you had not received his mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right. So in our main text, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, I think you heard three groups of individuals were mentioned, right? We heard about prophets. That was the main uh, section there. We heard about people who share the gospel. And then we heard about the angels. Those three groups of uh, individuals, I believe, have encouragement for us this morning. And I believe they have exhortation for us this morning. I don't think I knew the difference between an encouragement and an exhortation up until maybe two years ago. So I wanted to share it with you. So kids, Uh, I want to just help you understand better uh, what I've learned about what an encouragement is. An encouragement is when you give courage, right? Isn't that what it sounds like? Encourage, when you put courage into someone. So an encouragement is to give support to someone or to give confidence to someone or to give hope. So an encouragement gives a person a good feeling. And so when God's word encourages us, it gives us hope in God. It gives us encouragement in Jesus gives us courage in who God is and what he's doing. So that's encouragement from God's word. But there's also a category of communication called an exhortation. And an exhortation is a little different. It's the type of communication that strongly encourages someone to do something or strongly urges someone to take action. So God's word will often encourage us and God's word will often exhort us to take action. So encouragement gives courage. It gives a feeling. Exhortations urge action. They say, do something, right? All right, so let's test our comprehension here, okay? I've got a little thought exercise. Imagine, kids, that I'm teaching you how to drive, okay? You're sitting behind the wheel. I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I've got some encouragements and exhortations for you. I want to try to see if you can figure out which one is which, okay? All right, so if, if you're learning how to drive, and I say this to you, Okay, you have to turn left at the next intersection. Is that an encouragement or an exhortation? You have to turn left. 
It's an exhortation. It's telling you to do something, right? Okay, how about this? I'm in the passenger seat and I say, slow down. Is that an encouragement or an exhortation? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm asking you to do something, right? Slow down. Okay, now try this. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. You're behind the wheel. And I say, you can do this. It's going to be okay. Is that an exhortation or an encouragement? That's an encouragement. I want you to feel courage, right? All right, how about this? If I say, nice job. Your driving is getting much better. Is that an exhortation or an encouragement? You were right. I could read your lips. <laughs> you said, right, you said that was an encouragement. That would make you feel more courageous in your driving, right? Okay, so I've got a very simple structure for us today. I want to look at those three groups of individuals. I want to give us three encouragements, and then I want to look at those three groups of individuals, and I want to give us three exhortations, all right? So encouragements and exhortations from the prophets, people who share the gospel, and the angels. So let's dive into First Peter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, we should probably just clarify, that means particularly what Peter was talking about in, in verses 3 through 9. Concerning this salvation, the good news of God's rescue, good news of God's grace, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now think about that sentence structure. The prophets who prophesied about, okay, we got a whole bunch of prophecies in the Bible, right? And so Peter is actually taking all those prophecies and he's kind of lumping them into a category. So he's saying, there's a whole bunch of prophecies and they prophesied about, in particular, the grace that was to be yours. Let's think about that phrase, the grace that was to be yours. Prophets are special people, right? Prophets are not just your ordinary dude, right? They have a special place in God's redemptive plan. And the Holy Spirit was giving them a special view about the good things that were coming ahead for God's people. And so Peter calls those good things that they saw the grace that was to be yours. The prophets had a view that they, they saw that God was going to give people favor that they didn't deserve. That's what grace is. Grace is favor. That means God's kindness and, and a good relationship with God. Favor that they didn't deserve. Grace is favor that you can't earn, favor that's not based on what you do, it's based on who God is. So, so the prophets were looking out at us and they were saying, there's gonna be grace that's yours. God is gonna treat you with love and kindness that you don't deserve. Now the prophets didn't prophesy about their own grace. The prophets didn't have what they were talking about but prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, not the grace that they already had. They saw that there was something special for us that would not be available in their lifetime. Now, they were still saved by grace, but they knew that God was going to open things up for a very special relationship with him because of Jesus. Think about it. They would die not having fully tasted what they had prophesied about, the grace that was to be yours. They knew that the coming grace was going to be richer 
and deeper and more glorious than anything they had currently seen among God's people in their lifetime. So how do you think that made them feel? And they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Well, Judah helped us to understand that by reading the words of Jesus. They longed for that. <laughs> they longed for that. Matthew thirteen seventeen. For truly I say to you, this is a quote from Jesus, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And our text, uh, verse 12, contains a similar thought. Um, the, the prophets are described in this way. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets weren't even serving themselves in those prophecies. They were serving you. When you read the Old Testament, that takes on some real meaning, doesn't it? I mean, if you've read the book of Hosea, who was Hosea serving when he took the wayward Gomer to be his unfaithful wife? He wasn't serving himself. He was serving you. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because so much of what he was told to say to the people of God broke his heart. He was grieved over God's righteous judgment for sin. Who was, who was Jeremiah serving through his tears? Not himself, but you. Ezekiel saw this overwhelming vision of God's presence and glory. It was so stunning that he sat speechless for a week after he saw God's glory. Who was Ezekiel serving? Not himself, but you. The prophets were moved by the Spirit of Christ, our text says, moved by the Spirit of Christ to serve you by pointing to one who would bring this grace that was to be yours. The grace that was to be yours. They saw that this grace would come through a unique person. This grace would come through an anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. So let's read again, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11. Concerning this glorious, merciful, gracious salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Why did they search and inquire carefully? Because they were longing to hear what you hear. They were longing to see what you see. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets were eager to glimpse one particular individual. They saw that in the future, someone given the title Christ would arrive, the anointed one, the Messiah. They didn't have the full picture like we do, but they knew that someone anointed by God would come to suffer, would come to be glorified. Now that's hinted at through all of the Old Testament, but perhaps nowhere do we see that more clearly than in the prophecies of Isaiah. You've probably heard these words from Isaiah 53. This is verse 5. This is speaking of the Messiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 
had a prophecy that, that Jesus, the Messiah, would not suffer for his own sake. He would suffer for the sake of his people. And Isaiah didn't write that primarily to serve himself. He wrote it for you. And what about the subsequent glories of this suffering Messiah? That same chapter, Isaiah 53, continues in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That means crush Jesus. He has put him, Christ, to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, listen to this, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So there's going to be a multitude of righteous ones. Isaiah has this this picture out in front of him. There's going to be a multitude of righteous ones who are made righteous because of what this suffering Messiah will accomplish. He's going to bear the iniquities of these people so completely and so victoriously that the servant, Jesus, will be completely satisfied. He's going to accomplish the work of the Lord. Listen to this. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, prophesied Isaiah. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He shall see and be satisfied. That's the picture of someone finishing the work of God. And those words of Isaiah would echo down through the generations for 700 more years until Christ finally proclaimed on the cross, it is finished. It is It is finished. And Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus when he prophesied, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. That's glorious. Isaiah saw the sufferings of Christ, and he saw the subsequent glories, and he pointed to them, for you. Off in the distance, it's, you might say he saw the silhouette of the Messiah in the first light of dawn against the horizon. But the light had not fully come yet. So the prophets prophesied about grace, grace that was to be yours. They were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. And the ancient prophets longed to hear what you hear. They long to see what you see. And they proclaim to us this morning that you are in a privileged position. They point to the grace that is now yours through the suffering servant who is now glorified. The prophets have encouragement for us today. And so do the gospel preachers mentioned in verse 12. Let's look at the encouragement from the gospel preachers. 1 Peter 1, 12, um, it starts by talking about the prophets. It was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here are the gospel preachers picking up right where the prophets left off. The gospel preachers, anyone who shares the gospel, has the privilege and the joy of announcing the whole story of salvation. So we're moving from ancient Israel, where the prophets prophesied. Now we're coming to the first century, and the Messiah is not just a future promise anymore. He's a present reality, as he is today. 
Now, so much of the prophetic communication in the Old Testament really centered around and camped out in the true, appropriate, righteous news, but bad news that humans are desperately wicked and completely deserving of God's righteous judgment. That's a real theme in the prophets that you will hear over and over again as you read them. And that's true, and it's right, and we need to hear it. But that bad news is setting up the good news of the rest of the gospel. The Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about really did take upon the sins of his people. He really did, by his suffering, accomplish the will of God. He really was satisfied with what he accomplished. And he really did rise again to proclaim that you can have new life in him. That your sins can be forgiven. Every last one. You can be made clean. You can be made alive in Jesus. You can respond to the love of Jesus by loving him back in return. That is the gospel. You can offer yourself to God in faith and repentance and live for him. You can obey Jesus with a new heart. That's the good news. I want to point out that good news reaches your ear in a divine way. Look again at verse 12. The things that have now been announced to you, the gospel, the full gospel message, through those who preach the good news to you, how? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. If you've heard the gospel... You've heard a heavenly message. If you've heard the good news about sin being conquered by Jesus and salvation being freely offered by faith, you have heard a message from heaven. God is so committed to the proclamation of the gospel that the Holy Spirit comes from heaven to preach the good news to you by the mouth of those who announce it. And so uh, when you participate in sharing the gospel, you are participating in that divine work of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. When you share the gospel with your foster child, when you share the gospel with your boss or your employee, your neighbor or person you just met, the Holy Spirit is using your mouth to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What an honor. Be encouraged that the gospel message is complete this morning. Be encouraged that Jesus Christ has come. He's accomplished what he said he would do. Be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is working through our mouths to empower the sharing of this good news. So we're encouraged by the prophets. We're encouraged by those who speak the gospel. And amazingly, we are encouraged by the angels this morning. First Peter throws this in at the end of verse 12. He says, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. What things? Well, things about the anointed one, right? Things about his suffering. Things about his subsequent glories. Things about the grace that was to be yours. Things about the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Things into which angels Long to look. Now that word long, as in the angels long to look, long means just what it sounds like. Hunger. The angels are hungry to look into these things. Or to set the heart on. Angels have set their hearts on the things of salvation. 
And that word look, that word to look, is a very interesting word that has almost a physical connotation to it. So that, that word to, or, or verb to look means to, to bend beside, to lean over, to peer within, to stoop down and to look into. That's what angels long to do. They long to bend down to earth to understand more about what God is doing in Christ, more about what God has accomplished in saving humans. And why is that amazing? Why is that thrown in here? Why is that supposed to be encouraging? Well, think about it. Angels have access to the very throne room of God, and they worship and enjoy him obediently in heaven. Angels are powerful, intelligent, spiritual beings. They're created by God to be his messengers, his servants, his ministers. They're not omniscient. Just by way of review, they do not know all things. Angels are not omnipresent. They can only be in one place at one time. And where do they want to be? They want to be where they can observe what's going on in salvation. Which is amazing because in their role as God's spiritual servants, they actually enjoy views of God himself, God's dwelling place in heaven, God's very throne room. Uh, We see this pictured for us in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Um, the, The writer of Hebrews is talking about our worship, and he's saying, when we worship God, we're joining with the angels. And this is the language uh, the writer uses to, to declare that. He says, when you worship God, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. When you worship God, you're worshiping God with innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's kind of fancy language, but it means a group that are you know, delighting in God, worshiping God joyfully, festal gathering. Revelations 5, uh, 11 and 12 are similar. Um, John has a picture of the throne room of God. Um, and this is what he says. He says, I, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And the angels are not saying that like robots. They're not saying that from a distance. They're not saying that from darkness like we might feel we do sometimes. But they're proclaiming it from where? Then I looked and I heard around the throne. They're proclaiming it from around the throne in, according to Hebrews, a festal gathering, a joyful worship gathering. That sounds pretty special, honestly. That sounds pretty desirable. It sounds like the angels are in a really good place. Doesn't it sound to be great? Doesn't it sound great to be among their number, praising God and doing God's will on in heaven? Not like we have to do it here on earth. Like that's what we're supposed to pray, right? We're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the angels get to do the in heaven part of that prayer. We're trying to emulate their obedience and their worship of God. And here are these angels doing the in heaven part of the Lord's prayer. And yet they have their hearts set on something. They have their hearts desiring something. They're hungry for more insight to deepen and enrich their experience of God and his glory. They want to kneel down and observe what God is doing here on earth for you through the work 
and person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in the words of Paul in Ephesians 3, that, that, is, that is one of the purposes for the church. The church uh, exists to, to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this is not a new thought for Peter to say this. This is consistent with Paul's understanding of the existence of the church so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is, this is surprising to me. The mighty angels long to look into your life, into your salvation because of Christ and his glory, his suffering. Because they value Christ, they long to look into what God is doing in human salvation. And the prophets were pointing to that through ages past. The gospel preachers are still to this day proclaiming the good news. The Holy Spirit was setting this up by moving the the prophets to prophesy. The Holy Spirit is empowering this right now, allowing us to declare the good news of what the sufferings of Jesus Christ have accomplished, what the glories of Christ have opened up for us. And even the angels themselves have their hearts set on bending down to see the amazing things that God is doing for you in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, was written for our great encouragement. The prophets, the gospel preachers, and the angels all agree. And they say to you this morning, Beloved, you are in a beautiful place of spiritual privilege. A beautiful place of spiritual privilege. So how should we then walk in that privilege? How should we walk in these blessings? Well, I believe there's three exhortations from this text as well. This was not just written for our encouragement. It was also written for us to live in accordance with that encouragement. And so let's allow this text to push us in a few directions, all right? First, an exhortation from the prophets. I believe the prophets are saying to us this morning, value Christ enough to open your Bible. Value Christ enough to open your Bible. The prophets searched and inquired carefully to see what the Spirit of Christ was stirring in them regarding the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. Do you join the prophets in that glorious pursuit? Do you join the prophets in eagerly searching the entire scriptures to see Jesus Christ in all of his word? Do you take action on the value of Jesus Christ by opening your Bible? Let me ask you, are there any books of the Bible that you have never read? Are there any books of the Bible that you haven't read in a decade? Have you been neglecting whole chunks of Scripture? Maybe the whole Old Testament itself. It's a big collection of spiritual works, is it not? It can be intimidating. But all it takes to read through the Old Testament is faithful persistence in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you, if you read the Old Testament for nine minutes a day, you would finish in a year. Just nine minutes a day. 
you could get through the whole entire Old Testament in one year. If you wanted to really like kick it up a notch, if you read 40 minutes in the Old Testament starting today, you'd be done with the Old Testament by May 1st. You could read the Old Testament from now through May 1st just in 40 minutes a day. So it just takes faithful persistence. Faithful persistence based on the value of Jesus Christ. The value of Jesus Christ. Do you value Jesus Christ enough to open your Bible? If not, don't start by just resolving to do better, although you should do that. But start by asking God for help. Start by confessing your lack of desire and repent of that before the Lord. The prophets are calling us this morning to value Christ enough to open our Bibles in faith, open our Bibles regularly, and to search the scriptures, to see Christ in all of scripture. I believe the gospel preachers have an exhortation for us as well. The gospel preachers exhort us this morning to value Christ enough to open our mouth. Value Christ enough to open your mouth. The complete message is here. For 2,000 years now, faithful, ordinary Christians have been telling people about Jesus, his suffering, his glory, the response of faith that God calls us to. These are not privileges reserved for some higher class of Christian. These are not privileges reserved for uh, people with the gift of evangelism. These are privileges for every believer to respond to the Great Commission. Go and tell. Go and tell. You have the whole message of salvation. Let me ask you, do you treat the good news like good news? Do you treat the good news like good news? If the Steelers won the Super Bowl, it would be easy to talk about that. That's good news. Yay! Jesus has beaten sin. Jesus has beaten death. Jesus has risen from the grave. Jesus holds eternal security for all who trust in him. It's good news. Does your mouth open to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Think about why we have a mouth. According to 1 Peter, we're going to read, you know, you know in chapter 2, um, why God saves us. He says, so we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we have a mouth. Now, if I'm never using my mouth for that purpose, I'm in disobedience to God. If you're never using your mouth for that as a Christian, um, you're in disobedience to God. And we can together tell him we're sorry, ask him to lovingly correct us. But we have the complete message. We have the complete message of salvation. We don't have to speculate anymore about you know, how this is going to work, that you know, holy God is going to be able to reconcile man to himself. It's here. Jesus came. Let's tell people about it. The message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, is good news. And so the gospel preachers exhort you, value Christ enough to open your mouth. Value Christ enough to open your mouth. And then lastly, an exhortation from the angels 
value Christ enough to open your heart. Value Christ enough to open your heart. This is actually where it all starts. You cannot rightly open your Bible if you have not opened your heart to Jesus. And you cannot rightly open your mouth if you have not opened your heart to Jesus. Angels proclaim with the longings of their hearts that Jesus Christ is valuable. Jesus Christ is valuable. Angels have their hearts set on bending down to examine the beautiful workings of Christ in the salvation of his people. What do you have your heart set on? Is your heart open in every way to the beautiful work and person of Jesus Christ? That might be a little bit tricky to answer. So let me give you some categories to think about. Does your heart beat a little bit faster when you think about age after age of human history pointing ever more steadily to Jesus Christ? When you think about promise after promise fulfilled in the coming of Christ, when you think about covenant after covenant finding their fulfillment in the work and person of Jesus Christ, if that engages your heart, that's a good sign. Your heart might be open to Jesus. Or does your heart sink? Does your heart sink and lament when you think of your sin causing the pain and suffering of our Savior? When you think of the lash mercilessly falling upon Jesus, when you think of him being struck again and again, mocked, spit upon for your sin, when you think about his arms and feet being nailed to a cross, when you think about the wrath of God being poured out upon him that you deserved because of your sin, do you grieve? If you do, your heart might be open to Jesus Christ. When you think about Jesus bursting forth victorious from the grave, the lion of the tribe of Judah, coming in victory to declare forgiveness is here. Life, life everlasting is here. Does that encourage your heart? When you think about Jesus coming back again, every eye beholding his glory, coming to set every wrong right, coming to claim his bride, coming to call us home, does that stir your heart? If it does, that's a good sign. You may have your heart open to Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest. If you haven't valued Christ enough to open your Bible and you haven't valued Christ enough to open your mouth in the gospel, then you probably haven't valued Christ enough to open your heart to him either. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you've never opened your heart to Jesus, I am delighted, delighted that you are here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to the the beauty of who Jesus is. I'm asking you to consider 
What's stopping you from opening your heart to Jesus? What would keep your heart closed against the Savior? Open your heart to Jesus today. We're going to pray in a few moments. We're going to sing after that. We're going to share communion after that. Those are all opportunities to open your heart to Jesus. You can tell him that you don't love him like you want to. You you can tell him that you can't even love him without his help. You can tell him that you're done closing your heart off to him. You can ask him to help you to open your heart to him completely with nothing held back. The angels exhort us this morning, value Christ enough to open your heart. Value Christ enough to open your heart. And then, with a heart open to all Jesus is, open your Bible in faith and open your mouth with joy. The gospel proclamation, Christ is who he says he is. The one who suffered, the one who's glorified, the one who brought the grace that is now ours, the one the prophets longed to hear from, the one the prophets longed to see, Jesus Christ, the treasure of treasures. Let's spend a few moments praying prayers of response and prayers of confession to God. I'm just going to give us a few moments of silence before I lead in prayer, and then I invite you to pray out loud as the Lord directs you.